Welcome to Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast with fraud expert Skip Myers. This is your guide to fighting fraud and chargebacks. Learn the best fraud prevention solutions and strategies. How to enhance your fraud prevention team. And how to prosecute criminals. Now, here's your host, Skip Myers. Hello. Thank you for joining Ruin a Bad Guy's Day production, the digital crime scene fighting fraud and chargebacks. Hi, I'm Skip Myers and I'll be your host today. You know, after 30 years of experience from law enforcement to criminal investigations, fraud and retail loss prevention, I've developed a system to help you investigate card not present fraud and understand the essential elements of the digital crime scene for criminal prosecution or for reducing your overall fraud and chargebacks. You know, you all that fraud data that you have tells a story, a digital crime whodunit, a digital crime story. It helps you unravel the mystery of why fraudsters are targeting your company. So today I'd like to talk about some learning objectives. What, what do we want to accomplish today? So one of the things I really want to dive into is really understanding how do you develop a crime scene mindset? Because when you enter these crime scenes or the digital crime scene, you need to have your mind right and understand how important it is to extrapolate all that fraud data you know, that's available to you, that's left behind by the fraudster. Elements of a digital crime scene, those can include virtual evidence, including IP addresses or geolocations and payment types. Investigating and building a case will tell a nice little story to really wrap your mind around what should we really be focusing on when we're looking for evidence. The digital crime scene methodology you know, what essential pieces do you need to really start and begin a digital crime scene investigation? How do you link the virtual evidence? Linking the virtual evidence is very important to understand whether or not you have a fraudster or just someone, you know, that is innocently playing around on your website. Either way, this, this method will help you identify inconsistencies with information that is on your website as it relates to fraud investigation and your business rules. Chargeback analysis, we'll dive into, you know, how you should plot out and separate your chargebacks into different categories. And we're going to look at a couple of real case studies to help really bring everything together. So how do you begin understanding what a crime scene mindset is all about? And it really starts with your initial response to the crime scene. You know, when you drive up to the crime scene, you see the yellow tape like you do on TV shows. But first, before we dive into maybe sort of the academic part of that, I'm going to take you back in time when I was driving a police car on the midnight shift here in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of my first crime scenes that I ever worked. And the initial response to that crime scene really had an impact on me. I'll never forget arriving to this crime scene, and this is a horrific crime scene of really bad events and crimes that are occurring to women in apartment communities and condominium complexes around Atlanta. The bad guy was targeting these people through a lower level uh, apartment uh, entry point, usually a patio door. And during the summer in Atlanta, it gets real, really hot. And so some people leave their windows and their screen porches, porch doors open to allow uh, cold air to come in, if there is any. But what this bad guy was doing was uh, he was really targeting these people on a on not just a random basis, but he was really casing, you know, who these people were and how he would get in swiftly and, and leave without detection. And so I'll never forget getting the call and arriving at the crime scene. In that moment that you enter the crime scene, you lift the yellow crime scene tape above your head and you walk into this environment where a horrific crime has occurred. And I'll never forget a senior officer on the scene telling me that I needed to make sure that I got my mind right. And what does that really mean? You know, getting your mind right. You know, what he what he was trying to say was, is that it's time to really open your eyes and ears. There's evidence all around. The bad guy left breadcrumbs of information that, you know, is available to us if we only get our mind right and understand where we're at. It's just really focusing in on those pieces of information, a trail that will lead to the bad guy. And it's so important as investigators 
that we really follow a methodical, very efficient process when we enter that crime scene. So I remember my beat partner, Harry, was there on the scene. And during this time, he and I worked a lot of these cases through a couple months. And the police department uh, had initiated a surveillance and stakeout team within these apartment complexes and condominium units throughout this area. And we're trying to see if we could catch this bad guy. And it was so frustrating because this person was targeting these people over and over again and successfully committing his crimes and getting away without detection. So Harry and I were standing on the back patio overlooking this wooded area. And it was dark. It was about two o'clock in the morning. And we could see this light coming through this wooded area. We didn't know what it was. We couldn't understand where it was coming from. But we could see this light coming through this wooded area behind this apartment building that the bad guy targeted. And we knew right then and there we needed to look beyond the crime scene. We need to understand there's more to this than meets the eye. So we packed up our stuff, left the crime scene, and went back to the precinct. And we later asked our sergeant if we could come back to the crime scene because we knew that there was something beyond those trees that we needed to find out. So does this look like a di digital crime scene to you? I can't tell you how many people I talk to when we start looking at fraud in, on, in a virtual environment that they really just are worried about what kind of information is available out there. And this is, in essence, a metaphor for what they see. It's not this complex. It's a, a series of information and data left behind, or virtual evidence, I like to call it, by the fraudster. And it's up to us to really have that clear mindset to sift through all this data. So how do you do that? Well, you do that through the crime scene investigation methodology that I've created through the years. And it really begins, like I said before, arriving at the digital crime scene. You know, what's the first thing you do when you get there? When, when you open up that file, that case file of chargebacks or fraud events on your, you know, on your e-comm site, you know, are you just sifting through information? Is it, does it look like the matrix? Or do you have a you know, particular mindset? Are you focused in on those key points of information? And is there a process through it? Are you really methodical and efficient with your application of your investigation methods? Two, what is the documentation and evidence that we're looking for? Well, that's virtual evidence. We need to document the vir virtual evidence left behind by the fraudster. It could be the digital fingerprint and ID. It could be the geolocation. It could be the payment type, the email address, the ship to address, et cetera. But there is virtual evidence left behind in, in every fraud event. And it's up to us in number three to link that virtual evidence together. And I like to use reverse, reverse engineering and a deeper dive into root cause analysis and how we investigate crimes. And using this method in the digital crime investigation environment is very important and is actually very uh, successful. Uh, through my experience. Number four, always test your hypothesis. And I like to test my hypothesis of what, who, when, and why, you know, occurred during this fraud event through scenario planning. And scenario planning is really creating an hypothesis around the fraud event. Now, how could this happen to our website? You know, who's doing this to us? How do they get through our business rules and our defenses to stop this fraud? And number five, we always wrap up our investigation with a final analysis and a fraud theory. Look back on your original hypothesis and your reverse engineering and all that virtual evidence you collected. Does it make sense now that once you collected this data that you understand how the fraudster got through your defenses? And one way we can keep from this reoccurring is through continuous monitoring of our chargebacks and our website. There's always gonna be different nuances and certain things that occur in the fraud environment. Bad guys evolve and change. And they're going to change when we change. So we got to stay ahead of it. And that means we have to continually monitor our processes and look to improve every step of the way. So what does that mean, arriving at the digital crime scene? Like I said before, the most important thing is having the proper mindset and a process. 
a process that starts with that response when you arrive there, when you're looking at your file, you're looking at your data from your fraud solution provider. Understand you can't be distracted or sidetracked by other things that are going on in this environment. This is really complex information that requires your full attention. It, it really involves a fixed state of mind, I believe, that is focused on identifying specific pieces of virtual evidence within that digital crime scene. And we're going to go through really what those specific pieces are. It's not all of the pieces, but these, are, these will be discussed as primary pieces of virtual evidence. It's a mental attitude and process that determines how you will interpret and respond to different scenarios within that digital crime scene. Every digital crime scene is a little different. No fraudster is alike. Yes, they do a lot of things that are very similar, but they all have their own unique ways of, of committing fraud. In your process for investigating a digital crime scene, always, like I said, must be very efficient and methodical. So what's the second step? The second step is the preliminary documentation of the virtual evidence. And let's talk about virtual evidence for a moment. Virtual evidence is obtained or stored by means of a computer or network. It's not physical evidence. It's, it's evidence on a computer or network. It's related to information provided by a fraudulent online transaction in a virtual environment. So think about that. What does that mean? That means that virtual evidence is that digital fingerprint we spoke about, the email address, the geolocation, that IP address, payment type, and ship to address. I always like to illustrate what a digital crime scene looks like to me. And this is a credit card that's having a really bad day. And you can see all the virtual evidence left behind by the bad guy when he attacked this credit card and used his credit card on probably someone's website. And what's left behind at this digital crime scene, I want to illustrate, illustrate the point here, that this credit card that was used fraudulently on your website left behind information by the fraudster, including, again, the device fingerprint or ID, the email address, the geolocation, payment type and ship to address. Have a vision of this scenario, you know, when you look at your digital crime scene and share this information with your team. How do you link the virtual evidence? One of the best ways I've always liked to, to link any kind of evidence from when I worked in law enforcement and criminal investigations as a financial crimes investigator to now and today in loss prevention and fraud prevention, looking at my e-com site and looking at bad guys targeting, you know, transactions fraudulently on, on our website. You know, how do I do that? I do that through reverse engineering the fraud. And I came up with this explanation, what I pretty much came up with between understanding how to root cause analysis a problem and what this means in the digital or virtual environment when we reverse engineer fraud. Well, it's a method of determining the likely sequence of events before, during, and after a fraud event through observation and evaluation of processes and evidence. That's right. What I like to do, and here's another metaphor for you, spend time in the lab. Take time to print out your chargeback report. Any information you can, get in an office. Surround yourself with the brightest minds and talent that you have at your disposal. Work with other departments and operations and finance and your IT department and, you know, anybody that has fraud analysis experience and understands root cause analysis and how you can link that to different internal variables that may be causing this fraud within your organization or the external variables and, and always conclude with a process analysis. I always like to test my fraud hypothesis. And I always like to test it through scenario planning. And scenario planning is, is really a process to anticipate change or the predictive impact and insight of a potential fraud event through the creation of scenarios. So what are my objectives here? Well, my objectives are always to ask how and why questions. Really dig deep and ask a lot of why questions and look yourself in the mirror. You know, you have to really be honest with yourself about what may be happening in this environment and why that froster believes it's easy to target your company with stolen credit cards. You know, encourage creative thinking with your team. Brainstorm all kinds of different potential threats. 
identify those key weaknesses. This is the time to do this now so it doesn't reoccur later. Research those behaviors. You know, there's those different kinds of uh, behaviors fraudsters leave behind with breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs of information. Define the known and unknown in inevitabilities. You know, that means looking ahead. You know, you know, try to find out what you know now and what may be unknown later through your research. And always test your scenario hypothesis. So how do we do this? My favorite way is to do this is to scenario plan through the eyes of a criminal. And that's not me. Uh, this morning before I had coffee, although I probably felt like that. And actually, this guy has a little more hair than I have. But that that's me when I look at a fraud situation. So are you listening to the information that the bad guy leaves behind? To put this in perspective from a loss prevention or a physical environment scenario, let's say, for instance, you are the director of loss prevention for a company. You have retail stores throughout you know, the states. And you're trying to understand through the management team in those stores why they're having such a shoplifting problem in their store. And you get a call one day and the manager calls you and says, I'm finding all these empty packages of high value merchandise on aisle 18. You know, stop and think for a minute. Let's think about this methodically and efficiently. Okay, so there's high value products that are being found, you know, with the contents removed. And the remains of the box is located on aisle 18. My first question is, okay, what time did you find that empty box or boxes? Well, the manager says 2 p.m. And, you know, I say real quick, okay, so what was your staffing like that day? Well, the manager says I had about four people calling sick. I was short staffed. Well, where was the manager that was supposed to be on duty that day? Well, that's a great question. He was in the back office calling other associates to come in to fill in for all the associates that called in sick that day. Then I asked, you know, why would a high value product that's supposed to be kept maybe in a lockup or in a glass case, how could a bad guy actually get their hands on it and steal the product? Well, we find out later that the manager says, well, we haven't got to that training yet. The people unloading the truck just merchandise those products on the shelf. Do you understand where we're coming from here? Scenario planning paints a really good big picture here. In this particular instance, when this guy walked into the front door of that building, he saw immediately that the store was understaffed. There was no one that he could really recognize or identify as, a, as someone in charge. The manager was missing. He walks through the store and sees high-value products not secured. It was easy pickings, pickings for him that day. What does he do? He calls his other buddies and says, you know what? Come to this store. It's an easy target today. So... Think about it. When you look at your situation, look at it through his eyes. You know, when I walk in that building and I try to understand where the why this store may be having a shoplifting problem, I do it through the eyes of a criminal. I take my name badge off and I walk in there with an unbiased mindset. And you should do the same thing when you look at your fraud on your website. You know, take out all the opinions and all the excuses and really take a deep dive into why this guy thinks it's easy to steal from your company. And one of the best ways to do that, that I found through the years is a variation on root cause fraud analysis, what I like to do. And there's always three things that it seemed to be always present when we really dig down deep and find out where the world problems coming from. There's always physical causes, you know, related to fraud. There's some sort of physical system or material items that failed in some way. It could be how your fraud uh, controls or your business rules are uh, set up in your system. It could be a coding error from your IT department. That's not something that's not working or, or gathering information during an online transaction. Maybe the AVS isn't working properly. Who knows? But there's some physical cause that may be related to this fraud problem. There's always a human cause. There's a person or persons that did something wrong or failed to do something that was required of them. And oftentimes, Human causes can lead to physical causes. It's similar to like this. Car break, breaks down, you take it to the shop. The mechanic finds out, well, no one's put oil in this car, and it broke down because the car needs oil. See, someone should have been putting oil or checking the oil in that car, and when they didn't, the car broke down because it didn't have any oil. Same kind of scenario can play out within your fraud controls. Organizational causes. 
A system, process, or policy that people use is flawed and may have contributed to the fraud problem. How many times does an organization create a new policy or procedure and there always seems to be an unintended consequence? You know, our intent to increase sales and customer satisfaction sometimes comes with an un unintended consequence that the bad guys see as an, as an opportunity to commit fraud. Look at every variable, check every process to make sure that you know is not contributing to your overall fraud problem. Number five, always perform a final analysis of the digital crime scene. And what do I mean by final analysis? Well, this is where you really create your fraud theory and start planning for the future. You know, you should be able to explain why the fraud occurred and how the fraudster was able to carry out their crime, you know, on your website. You know, how can you reduce the vulnerabilities and opportunities a fraudster may exploit when attempting to commit card not present fraud? All of these things come into play when you're trying to set a plan together to make sure that this fraudster doesn't come back and target your company. And at the same time, you're reducing fraud and chargebacks. Then you should ask yourself, do we want to prosecute the fraudster? Do you have a policy that does this? If not, why not? And if you do, you know that you must establish that a crime was committed. Who is the victim and document all the financial losses? If you want to prosecute the fraudster, you must contact the law enforcement agency in the jurisdiction where the product was delivered or that shipped to address. This is the beginnings of a great case for criminal prosecution, but you must have these particular elements. It can't be a situation where Johnny, someone's little kid, stole mom's credit card and got online and downloaded a video game. That's not really fraud. We're talking about a true victim of a crime. A crime was committed against your organization. You can prove that you're the victim, not the cardholder, and you can show a financial loss. That's the beginning of a criminal investigation where the detective or investigator can use that actionable information to begin his investigation to prosecute the fraudster. And lastly, through various continuous monitoring of your e-com operations and controls for card not present fraud transactions, any anemic or ill-conceived process or fraud control can be amended or substituted. So continuous monitoring can identify these weaknesses and then through process improvement, you can repair any of these processes that's, that are ill-conceived and change the way your outlook on fraud is for the future. So investigating the obvious, and this isn't so obvious, man carrying a, a wheelbarrow full of, you know, dirt and dust and whatever, you know, what does this mean? So I'm going to tell a little story right here and put this in perspective. And when you leave this webinar today, Hopefully you're going to think about how you approach your investigation and not always look for the obvious. So I want to put your mind, you know, back in back in history. I want you to close your eyes for a second. You know, you're, it's the Industrial Re Revolution. It's Brooklyn, New York, and we're in the naval shipyards in Brooklyn. And during this time, business business is booming. I mean, there's people working everywhere. I mean, industry is just you know really growing growing big time and these warehouses are employing thousands and thousands of workers but the the bad part of this is that times were still really tough and wages were really low and a lot of these workers were stealing from their employers so that they can resell the stolen uh, merchandise to you know make ends meet you know it was tough and so the 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 shipyard, what they did was hire police officers at the gates so that at closing, when employees were leaving at five o'clock or so, the police would inspect everyone as they're leaving the shipyard. So one day, Tommy, this is Tommy here in the picture, is wheeling out this wheelbarrow. He's in line, ready to be checked out. Officers checking everyone one by one. And now it's Tommy's turn. Officer says, what you got there, son? Well, I also I got a wheelbarrow full of dust and uh, solid, you know, dust and floor sweepings from the warehouse, just taking out the trash. All right. All right. Move along. Move along. A couple of days later, Tommy's in line again. Got another wheelbarrow full of sawdust and, and trash. And officers, what you got there, son? Well, I'll sort of taking out the trash. 
Officer kind of pokes around with his baton. Nothing's in, in the rear wheel. Move along, move along. The same scenario plays out week after week. And sooner or later, the officer starts getting very frustrated. One day, Tommy's in line once again. Officer says, it's you again, huh? What you got there? Nothing, sir. I just got some sawdust and floor sweepings just taking out the trash. Officer gets really upset, kicks over the wheelbarrows, you know, rooting around the, the sawdust and trash with his baton. Doesn't find a thing. Tommy says, told you, officer, just taking out the trash. Happens again and again. And finally, the officer sees Tommy in line again, pulls him off, off to the side, totally frustrated. Tommy, you know, what are you doing? You're killing me. I know you're stealing something. What is it? Every single day, every week, you're taking out the trash. You know, what, what's going on? I promise I'm not going to arrest you. Tommy steps back and says, officer, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. Think about it for a minute. Officer was looking for the obvious, wasn't he? You know, you need to ask yourself in your investigation, are you looking for sawdust or are you looking for wheelbarrows? And in the digital crime scene investigation environment, you know, this could be the beginning of your investigation. A typical spreadsheet with fraud data, you know, that shows a series or patterns of information coming through transaction after transaction. In this particular uh, spreadsheet, it shows, uh, you know, information that I've obtained from our fraud solution provider that shows a fraud score in the first area here, which is uh, highlighted. And you see the different numbers. And obviously, the higher the number, the higher the risk. And so, secondly, I got the geox or the geolocation area. And through the, you know, acronym or the uh, initials here, you can see that these are different countries in all across the world internationally involving uh, Vietnam, Venezuela, South Africa. And these are countries or people hitting our website. And as we go along here, you see the email address. And then what's interesting to me here is I have a build to location, a ship to, and a device location that's right here. So all these things mean that you need to make sure you understand how to collect the virtual evidence. And in this environment, the bad guy is in a international location using stolen credit card information from U.S. customers. But in, in this environment on my fraud solution provider's website, I'm seeing that their device, yes, their device is located in a foreign country. So in this case, once again, it can match up with the geolocation and the IP address and other methods that we use to collect that data in foreign countries. What I like to do too is also in this situation is you understand that, you know, when I'm looking at this data, it's just not a bunch of numbers and email addresses and fraud rules. A digital crime is a human crime that's committed online. We should always remember that when you're working with your fraud team, you're working with others in your organization, tell them this digital crime is a human crime committed online. You know, it's just not some sort of invisible person. So here's, a, here's the fun part, case study analysis. Yeah, we're gonna go through a nice case that we worked here and how we link the information together using our fraud solution providers, uh, data extrapolated from our website and how we piece that together and actually finally make a bust. So here it is. We had some, some bad guys that were targeting our company and what they would do is that they would target our website where we have an 18 minute pickup. And in that 18 minute pickup means that you could order online and in 18 minutes, we'll have that product ready for you to pick up in one of our store locations. And so this particular person or female was targeting Apple computers, high end Apple computers. And she would order this, this product, what we found out later, use sometimes from the, from our parking lot using our, our free Wi-Fi. And she would order this product and within 18 minutes, she would come in and pick up at least two Apple notebooks, usually about five to $6,000. And the first location she hit was in Kansas City, right here. And in Kansas City, she decided to travel across the country and she ended up in St. St. Louis, Missouri, followed the arrows, and then she ended up in uh, Western Chicago. And by the third or fourth time in Chicago, uh, it hit our radar screen because by now 
because of the high dollar amounts hitting these actual cardholders accounts, uh, it was it was drawing their attention because their cards were being uh, flagged by their credit card company. And so by now we did some research and we found out this individual had an unusual first name. Well, she was sort of smart, but not so smart. She created an online account on our website. And when she did so, you know, like most people, they do it out of convenience. So you, you don't have to keep re-entering your information. Well, she started all of that in our store in Kansas City. Well, that information got locked in and every stolen credit card that she used was attached to that account manager in our web website. We decided to research this name because it was slightly unusual. And what we did was something very simply. We Googled the name and we had a hit. First page of Google showed that this person had a Department of Corrections rap sheet through Oklahoma, had a picture of her mugshot, all the information about her past arrests, including credit card fraud and her probation officer's name. We prom promptly identified through surveillance video in our stores that it was a match. Our surveillance video matched the mugshot on that Department of Corrections uh, rap sheet. So we started digging a little bit deeper into the name, into anything we could on social media. And we found a Facebook page. Yep, that's right. Our bad guy had a Facebook page with the same name she was using on our website. Her Facebook page had all kinds of comments from her and her friends bragging about how easy it was to defraud companies across the country. In particular, how easy it was to steal Apple computers and other products from other stores and how that she and her crew were, were traveling eastbound across the country. This is great because I gave that information to the, her probation officer that was listed on that Department of Corrections rap sheet, rap sheet. Now I got law enforcement involved who was very anxious, you know, to find out who who or where she was and an anxious probation officer to get her locked up again. We, we tracked her movements and found, you know, after we alerted all of our stores that she came in um, into contact with some of our associates in our Columbus, Ohio store. We just missed her. But through her information that she was su supplying on her Facebook site, we knew she was, you know, finding, um, you know, buying computers from us was easy uh, with stolen credit cards. So we alerted the next store in the chain, which was a store in, since, um, in Cleveland, Ohio. And we were ready for her this time. And she arrived and she was subsequently busted. The police police found after inspecting the vehicle that she arrived in in, in, the, in the parking lot. Uh, a trunk load full of computers and baby diapers, construction tools, you name it. She was doing exactly what she said on her Facebook page, hitting all kinds of retailers across the country. We were able to link together virtual evidence from her crimes, along with other ev evidence we investigated on the Internet and social media sites. This was a big case. So a lot of that information we linked together included the device fingerprint and ID. We knew she was using a tablet, most likely at, uh, in the parking lot of our stores using our free Wi-Fi. Uh, she mixed up her email addresses quite a bit, but we we're able to, to link back all these different email addresses to the same device or device ID. Again, her geolocation was the store locations in this particular instance. And for some reason, she was uh, really uh, prone to use American Express cards. So she's had some sort of access to stolen American Express credit card numbers. So you can see by using this method, we were able to link up several different frauds uh, and link them together through different methods, including starting with the device, fingerprint, and ID. And although she was changing up a little bit, everything linked back up to that because she wasn't going to get rid of that tablet. The, the device that she would use to make these transactions. So what is a device fingerprint or ID? You know, it's a technological process that captures a connected device when someone visits a website. The connected device can be a desktop, tablet, smartphone, mobile device, or even a game console. In this case, with our bad girl there, she was using a tablet. Device fingerprinting is important in determining what method the fraudster is using to visit and transact orders on a particular website. You should really become um, well aware of what kind of devices your fraudsters are using to commit crimes on your website. You know, a lot of times, a lot of fraud comes from just desktop computers. 
desktop computer located in an office or apartment somewhere in a foreign country. You know, it could be a bay of different desktop computers with all kinds of fraudsters hacking different websites and countries. Or in this case, it's a mobile fraudster using a mobile device or smartphone. In other cases, game consoles used by video gamers are defrauding you by doing digital downloads. All this information is great when you're able to link up this information and really target and understand why are fraudsters, you know, committing crimes on your website. And device fingerprints can be assigned a device ID. It's a specific ID. It's a number group. So then that number or that device ID can be tied to or linked to other pieces of virtual evidence. This information is always as essential to link devices with fraudulent transactions and other virtual evidence. Again, linking email addresses. So often, you know, sometimes the bad guy may use the same email address. You know, email addresses are always great to be used, you know, to, to put together a pattern of historical data, understand the different patterns, all the different potential uh, profiles, you know, of the fraudsters. You know, they're always likely to use free email addresses, you know, when they're targeting your website with a stolen credit card. Gmail, AOL, Yahoo, and Mail.com are very common free email address addresses. Bad guys are less likely to use a business email account. Think about it. They, unless they're a bad guy working with an organization, it's probably not going to happen. And a, and a lot of times in our investigation, what, I, what we like to do is actually just take time to, to Google that email address being used by the bad guy. Quite often, you'll see that that email address is linked to other internet sites or social media. Sometimes you might be able to find that Facebook page. So what's the geolocation? Well, the geolocation is the identification or estimation of a real world geographic location of an object. In this case, it's on a, it could be you know, something that's connected you know, via the internet, that's a desktop computer, a mobile device, tablet, or cellular device. You know, the internet and computer geolocation can also be determined by not just the IP address, which is what most people believe, but it's also the MAC address. Your hardware on your on your computer systems have embedded numbers. There's an embedded software number. There's Wi-Fi positioning uh, technology, device fingerprinting, and sometimes some devices have a built-in GPS. All this information is essential with determining the geographic location of a bad guy. And whether your fraud is originating here domestically or internationally. Payment type. Yeah, that's this is always interesting to me when we link the virtual evidence. You know, as we discussed before, our bad guy who traveled across the country had, you know, at her disposal several, you know, different American Express accounts. You know, it makes you wonder how does she get all these accounts? But part of the linking of the information, again, there's different ways you can link it. But in this particular case, we have the same bin number, same you know first six digits. We could use that information to link to other accounts. And again, you'll you'll understand through reverse engineering that this information can be linked backwards to other different kinds of accounts, email addresses, and device IDs. And the all favorite of all time is the ship to address. So often we start our investigation from left to right. And usually, you know, I'm not sure that's always the best way. I like to look at the endpoint of the fraud. And the endpoint of the fraud in most cases is the ship to address. That's the, the last point of, of the fraud string of virtual evidence. So I like to use the geolocation tools that, that are available on Google, like Google Earth and Google Maps to research a suspicious ship to address. You know, a lot of times bad guys like to exploit the ship to address uh, when they use storage facilities. You know, sometimes they use a ship to address that's in a UPS store or even a vacant home that's for sale as a drop location for stolen goods. A lot of times that ship to address, you'll see that that home is for sale. And what's really great about that in a lot of instances, that realtor took pictures of that home inside and out. Interesting enough, that ship to address happens to be a home that's for sale and it's vacant. So it may tell you that the bad guy lives in the area or that neighborhood and is waiting for that delivery truck to throw that package on the front doorstep. Also, numerous fraudulent orders shipping to the same ship to address is always an essential part of a criminal investigation. 
you may have 10 or 20 ship to addresses that are the same. And once you start reverse engineering that fraud, all those ship to addresses could be linked to another 20 different stolen credit card numbers, maybe 40 different names and addresses from, you know, good customers. And it goes deeper and deeper than that. That ship to address is so important. And how do we link all this together? Here's a great example here how all this comes together. You can see on this particular fraud analysis, and this is a case I've worked, where the device ID in this case was assigned a particular number. And with this device ID, we know that that fingerprint of that device was belonged to a tablet. And through the other information extrapolated from my fraud solution provider, we were determined that this particular tablet, tablet or bad guy was using Bing. And as you can see, you can see other other advances in technology that was able to see other uh, settings on this tablet that included the flash version. And in this case, it's interesting that the browser was set to 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 the language of Russian. We found we were fi found out through this technology that this device was located in Kiev. So we know this is someone operating in Russia. They were using a new version of Windows 10, but they were using some sort of proxy to hide their IP address. In this case, the fraud solution provider was able to pierce that proxy address and, and tell us that this IP address uh, that they were trying to let us uh, to believe was, was real was in Dallas, Texas. So here's the scenario. Got a fraudster in Russia using a tablet. You know, he's placing orders online to make us believe he's ordering from Dallas, Texas. And once we start linking this device ID, in this case, we're able to, to link it to different kinds of information. This device ID was linked to a series of four different uh, email addresses and different credit cards in this particular case, as you can see. So this starts painting a picture right now. So I got a bad guy in Russia using the same tablet, identified by the same device ID with a series of different transactions that are all fraudulent. As you move from left to right in this case, you can see that this information is linked to a series of different build to locations. You know, so all these different um, build to locations mean he's got stolen credit card information from a variety of different customers here in the United States. But what's what's really painting a bigger picture here is, is that this bad guy with this one device, we know it's a tablet operating out of Russia, trying to tell us that he's actually in Dallas, Texas, using all this stolen credit card information and build to information is shipping to one address, one address here on Mocking, Mockingbird Lane. And when we Google this address, what's really great about this is that this address does not or is not what it appears to be. It's an Acme storage uh, facility. And once we contact the Acme storage uh, facility, we find out from the property manager here that this, that this particular uh, storage unit suite 14 is receiving all kinds of packages from all kinds of internet retailers across the country you can see here too if you reverse engineer this and start going backwards that this one address is linked to several different build to addresses devices and etc it's a great way to really understand the overall complexity of this fraudster and how do we bring it together really to understand maybe the financial impact and really, what what does it mean in different situations involving fraud, and how and how should we really plot this out? So here's a here's a nice, uh, you know, little example of a chargeback reason summary spreadsheet that I put together, and you can mix this up in a variety of different ways. If if you're omni-channel, you have brick and mortar locations, and you have a, a e-com website. What's really good at, at the end of every month, you, you, you plot out your chargebacks into specific categories. And here you can, uh, you can see right here. So it's going to be a chargeback reason summary report. You know, if it's by store, you list your store locations here. You know, what's the date? What's the amount? You know, is there a transaction number or a reference number? And then separate it out. Is it web order fraud? You know, is the bill to different than ship to? You know, did the, the customer not receive uh, that product? Was it an unauthorized transaction? 
And once you start plotting this out at the end of the month, when you go back and start doing your continuous monitoring so you can improve your processes, you'll understand where your fraud's coming from. And as you move further on the spreadsheet here, you know, understand too, it's important to document what chargebacks are occurring at your brick and mortar locations. Is it part of your in-store pickup process? You know, is there a manual entry or no imprint process issue that's causing chargebacks? In a lot of cases, chargebacks are a result of a dissatisfied customer. Dissatisfied customer can issue a chargeback or dispute when they're unhappy with your services or the product they receive. If you don't categorize these chargebacks, you'll never be able to understand what the impact of your processes and services or products are having on customer satisfaction. Once you identify this, maybe you can change the return policy. Maybe you can you know, issue uh, some meetings and, and warnings or documentation from this spreadsheet to people or persons within your organization that have not understood that maybe some of the services or products you're providing are, are causing dissatisfied customers. And lastly, does your subscription renewal service, if you have one, is it causing you know, unnecessary chargebacks? Is your merchant ID identifier that's on, on a credit card statement, is it easily recognizable by that customer? If it's not, quite likely they're gonna see that on their credit card statement, call their credit card company and dispute that charge. Please call me at, and visit Ruin a Bad Guy's Day if you like a copy of this, this spreadsheet. So, final analysis of the crime scene. Always like to go back to the crime scene and do a final analysis and kind of prove the fraud theory that's been created through the course of this investigation. And through this, you know, I'm, I have a better understanding of how I can improve my processes and understand that I need to always continually monitor each aspect of the investigation and my chargebacks. I never want my fraud solution to be on autopilot. So let me take you back to that crime scene from the beginning of the webinar. Harry and I, you know, you remember we left that crime scene after, after stepping foot on that patio, looking out to that vast array of uh, trees and light coming through them. Later that morning when it was daylight, Harry and I came back to the crime scene. We went back to where we were and again, let me take you back. It was the night before. It was, you know, it was very hot. And it, was, it had just rained just a little bit. So it was still moist on the ground. And remember, we remembered the night before that there was traces of mud and dirt in the house. And it looked like our bad guy was wearing hiking boots. But, you know, that, that's what we remember the night before. We were still extremely curious about what was beyond that tree line. What, what were those lights coming through? those trees that we couldn't make out the night before. So t Harry and I walked through the uh, grassy area, you know, behind the apartment complex into the tree line. And about 50 yards out, we got through the tree line and lo and behold, what did we see? We saw a dried out lake bed. In this case, it wasn't so dried out, but still just a little damp and wet from the brief rain we had the night before. And to our astonishment, as we stood there and we looked upon this rather large lake bed, you can imagine what maybe what we saw. Think about it. What what did we see in that lake bed? Well, if you guessed a set of footprints, you're right. We saw actually two sets of footprints. One set of footprints coming toward the crime scene and another set of footprints leaving that crime scene area. You know, this information that we were able to obtain by revisiting the crime scene you know, Harry and I did our final analysis by going back and revisiting this crime scene, changed everything. As you remember before, police departments set up surveillance teams and stakeout units inside these apartment complexes and condominium uh, complexes so that we could uh, locate or identify any potential suspect involved with these crimes. With the identification of these footprints in this dried out lake bed and understanding that the bad guy was probably wearing hiking boots, it changed the complexity and everything with the with the surveillance and stakeout teams. We went from staying inside these apartment complexes and condominium areas to running our surveillance teams outside the you know the, the targeted areas. And about two weeks later, Harry, while on routine patrol, came across an individual about two o'clock in the morning carrying a backpack 
and wearing hiking boots. The bad guy was later identified as our suspect. We removed a potential uh, violent criminal off the street, and we solved the big case during that time by just going back to the crime scene. Never get satisfied with your investigation. Always revisit it and never, ever go after the obvious. So how do we do this? In summary, when you arrive at the digital crime scene, make sure you have the proper mindset and process to evaluate every piece of it, evidence. You know, your preliminary documentation evidence starts with the virtual evidence. Piece out and take out that evidence left behind by the bad guy. You know, that evidence is, you know, a lot of different things, including the device fingerprint and ID. It could be the geolocation and email address, the payment type, and especially that ship to address. Start using that information to link that virtual evidence together through reverse engineering. You're able to link together this information by looking deep into the root cause analysis, the physical causes, you know, different kinds of human causes, you know, equipment uh, causes or material, and also your organizational causes with processes and procedures. Always test your hypothesis against a scenario plan. Think about the bad guy. You know, why is the bad guy targeting your company? Why is it easy for him to defraud, you know, your website and get through your internal controls or business rules? Scenario planning is the best way to do that. And number five, always conduct a final analysis and create a fraud theory as to why the fraudster is targeting your company. You'll be able to improve your processes and always continually monitor each chargeback that you receive every single month. You know, segregate them into different into different categories so you understand whether or not this is actually fraud or you have a customer service issue. But never have your fraud solution set on autopilot. I'd like to thank everyone today for attending this webinar. It's been fun putting this together. If you follow these essential steps, I hope you'll have the same uh, success that I've had through the years with identifying fraud and, and prosecuting criminals. For more information, please visit runabadguysday.com. I'm going to be uh, putting together more webinar presentations for you to view for, in a variety of different situations that'll help you do your job better. You know, visit Runa Bad Guys Day uh, if you need help with fraud prevention strategies and, and analysis. You know, if you need help reducing chargebacks or just, you know, flat out, you know, really sound investigation guidance, I can help you with that too. So thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ruin a Bad Guy's Day radio podcast with Skip Myers. If you liked our show, please tell your friends and colleagues. You can learn more about us at ruinabadguysday.com or visit us on Twitter and Facebook at Ruin a Bad Guys Day. Join us for another episode of Ruin a Bad Guys Day radio podcast. The information provided in Ruin a Bad Guys Day radio podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. You should consult with legal counsel or other professionals to determine what may be best for your individual or organizational needs.